Putin, Zelensky, Biden, NATO, and Eastern Europe at war. You are listening to continuing coverage of war in Ukraine on The John DePietro Show. AM 1380, 99.9 FM, WNRI. Listen live online at DePietro.com. Let's go live now to the border of Ukraine and John DePietro. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It is Wednesday. This portion of the program, folks, brought to you by Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Stop in and see them. Located 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. They have delicious calzones. Everything is baked fresh. You're going to love it at Ron's Pastry Gourmet. And also they have sausage and pepper. They also have delicious sandwiches, old-fashioned pizza strips, and a lot more. Stop it and see them. And, of course, the uh, world-famous Let's Go Brandon Cupcakes and Donuts. It's Ron's Pastry Gourmet right off of Silver Spring Street, 170 Royal Little Drive in Providence. Easy to get to. Uh, free coffee for police and military first responders. It's Ron's Pastry Gourmet. Well, folks, our coverage continues from Eastern Europe. It's uh, interesting. There's actually a story in uh, today's New York Times that highlights exactly where I am based, which is right in, and I'm going to read from it um, a little bit, but uh, it's located, a town on Ukraine's edge determined to escape its past. I've actually learned quite about um, the town, which is um, Shemel. Uh, through, in fact, um, in reading this article. And so it, it is interesting, and it's 10 miles from the uh, border of Ukraine. And I'm going to touch on that. And they also mentioned something, for those of you who have been listening, that I was saying, and that is that the 82nd Airborne is, uh, is here. So the um, American military presence has certainly in- uh, increased. Shemel's history has been intertwined with the war. This time, much of Poland wants things differently. So Shemel, Poland, since the war broke out in Ukraine, elegant little city, Shemel, less than 10 miles from the Polish-Ukraine border, has been transformed into a massive aid machine. Restaurants are feeding refugees instead of regular customers. School gyms hosting Ukrainians instead of football games. Local newspapers raising money. Town considered just every possible need of those fleeing Russian bombs, even taking in their pets. Generous attitude may seem surprising, given Shemel's complicated, violent history. This part of Poland endured horrible bloodletting through the 20th century, including at the hand, hands of Ukrainian nationals. So, again, folks, I also recognize that um, this is a, a part of the world that a lot of people are unfamiliar with, with the history, and so therefore it's easy, easier, I should say, almost to manipulate how some people... Um, View things, But after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, this town seems to have made an instinctive collective decision to put the bl- bad blood behind it. Like much of Poland itself, Shemel sees the fight in Ukraine almost as its own fight and has welcomed the Ukrainian refugees with an outpouring of support. Poignant reset the long, complex Polish-Ukrainian relationship. During World War II, and many people listening right now, especially if uh, you have family in Poland, may know more, this more than just the regular person. During World War II, which is now in the minds of many of the Shemel's 60,000 residents, Nazis and Soviets took turns invading the city, wiping out civilians. Shemel's Jewish community, once a third of the population, was reduced to a few families. As the war was finally ending, bloodshed exploded between Ukrainians and Poles, with Ukrainian nationalists massacring Poles large numbers and Poles striking back in revenge. Shemel has once again put on its war paint. Its trains are taking Ukraine fighters into the conflict. And folks, those are some of the people you've heard me interview. Its bridges are carrying weapons material to the front, and foreign troops are stomping down chompy, windy, cobbled streets. But this time, they're Americans, part of the NATO forces based in Poland. Biggest force has been, focus has been helping the 500,000 Ukrainian refugees who have passed through the town, mostly women and children, said the mayor and um as i have mentioned i mean folks and you've you've seen uh so much of this is uh is as part of our 
live stream coverage just to give you an idea it's it's really um uh unprecedented to see um going into it they they also talk about how the town's train station has been a major refugee transit point many residents have said the same thing times have changed more than a million ukrainian workers already in poland before the invasion sense of otherness between ukrainians and poles has gradually worn down so it does seem to be somewhat of a uh, complicated relationship in um, a lot of people they're referring to shemmel's main railroad bridge here's what one man said as he gazed out the window looking over the town if i were putin i'd put two bomb i'd bomb those two bridges everything goes through those bridges he was referring to shemmel's main railroad uh, railway bridge which has many fighters going back in ukraine have used and a highway bridge across the sand river that serves as the busiest conduit supplies and materials into western ukraine under a secret pact during world war ii nazis and soviets divided poland and shemmel between themselves the sand river snakes through town was the border it separated the nazi occupied part where the jews were put in a ghetto from the eastern side of town which was incorporated into the soviet union part of the ukrainian soviet socialist republic where all signs of polishness were brutally repressed i've heard about this also and i'm about to tell you divided families stood on opposite riverbanks and shouted news to each other all around them russian and german troops hunkered down sometimes an old fortification built by generations of invaders to control the area today the new soldiers in town are from the 82nd airborne division the other evening a busload of americans dressed in camouflage combat boots marched up to shemmel's most popular donut shop which serves hunky pastry without the whole stuff with nutella the united states has doubled the number of troops it usually stations in poland remember the nato alliance roughly 9,000. When asked that they were doing here, one American soldier responded, to assure and deter. I like that. Despite all the conflict that has weathered, Shemla is still a beautiful little city, 13th century fortified castle, credible churches, bumpy stone streets, antique charm in every town. Town even plays a centuries-old bugle call three times a day from its clock tower to mark time passing by. And I have heard that. And again, it is a, um, and there's actually, I'm looking at a, a picture of uh, some of the american military that i have seen as well <laughs> although i've um chosen to i i've talked with some of them and they would prefer that i not film them and so forth although they're obviously not doing anything wrong um but folks it, it is um and as i come to you again it's the john DePietro show we are as i said 10 miles uh from the border uh based out of here i find it easy because that way i can then make my way to medica which is the border crossing and then shemmel which is now just 10 miles it's um there is a neighborhood as a matter of fact that that's right at the border i did want to mention that um it's interesting to me for for those people and actually i like like a nice neighborhood as a matter of fact folks this portion of the program again i encourage you to visit the website if you miss anything we post a lot of the video there i will tell you that it's it is a big week with uh, president biden coming into uh, poland later in the week President Biden is uh, arriving in Europe, in uh, Brussels, to meet with NATO. They have to develop a plan how they're going to deal with this. I think it will, um, they, you know, the, the president needs to be here, should have been here a while ago, probably. As we've talked about, the Biden administration, they have really mishandled every aspect of this. And I don't think there's any argument about that. Certainly has been well handled. They've mishandled a lot of parts of this. But, folks, check out the website, dipetro.com. And don't forget, dipetro.com, which is brought to you by Enzo and Sports Pub. Hey, March Madness, the next round, Sweet 16, starts tomorrow, tomorrow night. Catch all the action, Enzone Sports Pub, 960 Menden Road in Cumberland. Dana runs just a great place. Have a uh, drink, watch your favorite sports team, clean, friendly, and karaoke starts Friday and Saturday nights at 8 30 i will well, i won't see it this week at end zone sports pub so again folks it's john DePietro. we are coming to you from as i've been uh, touting the ukraine uh, poland border will um have not given up hope on on entering into ukraine but it has to just be certain conditions have to be right one thing maybe something will come out of this uh, nato conference if there could be some kind of a ceasefire of some kind 
uh, if there be some kind of uh, the western Ukraine, at least into Lviv, which is be a little over two hours, uh, two and a half hours to get there from where I'm situated. Train really seems to be the only way to get in and out of the country in western Ukraine, although it has had some attacks and bombings and there are some Russian troops, certainly not as much as into the area around the capital um, and, and the southern part. Uh, Maripol has just been and Kirsten have both really been uh, demolished. Again, visit the website. Again, one of the other people I just want to give a quick shout-out to is our friend Paul with John the Roofer. Call today, 1-866-906-ROOF, residential commercial roofing. Paul does a great job. Free quote, 1-866-906-ROOF. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Into Brood Awakenings and discovered the Brood difference. Two locations in Johnston, also in Cranston, Pontiac Avenue, and then also Bald Hill Road in Warwick. Brood Awakenings, their local, fresh ingredients, cozy environment, great comfortable chairs, deli- delicious breakfast sandwiches, lunch, great drinks and coffee, and plenty of room to spread out and meet people. I'll see you, and you'll discover the Brood difference at Brood Awakenings. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays, we start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, Petro.com. I remain in Eastern Europe. Hey, Dan McGowan, I tweeted out, the New York Times actually has a good write-up on the town that I am based out of, Schemmel, which is 10 miles from the border. And uh, it was not my imagination. I had put the first video up. The 82nd Airborne is here. But it's um, it's a town in Poland that has, um, you know, this somewhat of a controversial reputation of uh, some various things that happened between the Nazis and the, the, the Russians, the Soviets during the Second World War. But it's a it's it's an interesting um, article about Schemmel. But what I have been very interested is how do you like being your new role as a college basketball reporter for the Boston Globe? Well, as we were joking last week, I, uh, I got the better assignment of you yes, you I, did for sure. Um, yeah, you know it's fun. It's a it's uh, well, most importantly, John, I'm glad that you're doing safe and in in yes. all seriousness. Thank you for what you're doing because yeah, it is no, you know it's, it's wild. It, it, it's it, you know the, the everything you tweet, I'm riveted by. So it's very interesting. Um, yeah, you know, on the basketball thing, uh, I, I think I'm the luckiest person in journalism, yeah. possibly, mm-hmm. because, right, my job is not to, to actually cover sports, but um, the Globe has been really invested in this PC basketball team. And so uh, I'll be flying out to Chicago tomorrow uh, Great. Uh, and heading to the Sweet 16. And, and you know, hopefully uh, you get through Kansas and you're going to have a really good shot at the Final Four. Dan McGowan, you, you tell me you were there, but to me, uh, this whole experience, <clears throat> obviously it's incredible for the team, but um, th- this has really been a national coming out party for PC head coach Ed Cooley. He just uh, keeps his composure. Uh, you know, I, I liked even when <clears throat> when they, they lost at the end of the season, he said, well, you know, last time we dropped one, but then we won eight in a row. He... Um, in order to, to go as far as they have and be successful, that you need someone that is like really going to the next level. And it, it just seems and I'm happy for him. He's got a lot vested, but it seems that PC head coach Ed Cooley is he is now one of those recognizable names that everyone is uh, regarding as just really delivering for the school and for the program. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, you know, the thing about Ed Cooley, the thing about college basketball, as you know, is it's a coach's game, right? It, the reason it being is, is that yeah. the players stick around for a relatively short period of time. But, yep. you know, you think about the iconic coaches, Bob Knight, you know, Coach K, uh, Jim Calhoun at UConn. Uh, the coaches last. And and Ed Cooley, you know, Ed Cooley is not in the class of the, you know, elite coaches yet. But what you're seeing him doing and what people are, are kind of, I think nationally kind of introducing uh, the world is being introduced to Ed Cooley. I think what they find is a guy who's uh, got a really, he's got a very compelling story. Remember the other thing about the you know college basketball tournament is it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's obviously higher profile, but it's a little bit like, you ever, you know, in the summer you watch the little league world series and you're always looking for stories to tell about yes. the players or, you know, yeah. whose, whose mom did this or whatever. Uh, you know, coach, the NCAA tournament needs to fill a lot of, you know, personal story time 
to keep viewers interested, right? It's not just for the you know hardcore sports fans. And Ed Cooley has a remarkably uh, a remarkable story. Uh, so I think people are really warming to that. Um, and you could just tell, you know, the thing that I noticed from being there is he taking it all in and enjoying it so much. He said uh, after they beat uh, South Dakota State last Thursday, you know, he said to, to everybody, the worst day of my coaching career was just a few days ago when they got thrashed by, by Creighton. And he said, yep. but, you know, that's the worst day of my coaching career. He said, think about everybody out there, anyone who's ever played sports, everyone who's ever coached sports would kill to be Madison Square Garden Friday night of the Big East tournament coaching. Like the worst day is the best day for most people. That's um, right. And, and I think he truly believes that. And now he's playing with a little bit of house money, right? So they've already exceeded expectations. Now you've got a situation where, um, you know, Kansas is, is, is a, as he calls them, a, a blue blood with college basketball, mm. but a real chance on a Friday night in Chicago, Lots of spotlights going to be on him on CBS. Uh, I think this is a, another opportunity this week to, you know, really showcase the program. Because I mean, right, that's what this is all about right now. Yeah, he needs to, you know, if they win this game, suddenly Providence is really on the radar. You know, suddenly you're in the class. I wouldn't say of the the major teams, but suddenly you're competing very heavily with a Villanova for the best possible players that could play in the Big East. They're they're a notch below that right now. Um, and, and, you know, the more you win, the more you get on national television, it's all about exposing your program to recruits who maybe have never even heard of Providence. That's exactly right. And what people need to understand, and we're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, is, you know, you have these recruits out there and they're trying to figure out what school they want to play with a winning program. The farther you can advance the, the, uh, the team into the, into the tournament, the better your chances. He has... Ed Cooley's such a remarkable team. I mean, I like a lot of people met him when he first came in, but growing up, you know, it was a big family. He actually had to go live with another family yeah. because they had so many kids in his family. But what I like about this, and I'm also Dan McGowan, I'm not convinced that just because they go this far, this is going to be another, you know, Rick Barnes, Rick Patino, someone that, that then jumps to the bigger program. He's an older guy. Uh, you know, New England, there's no Boston college uh, team that is right. in the tournament like this. So this is one of the benefits when you are, listen, you know, as you know, Providence College basketball is basically like the pro team uh, for Rhode Island. That is the team that everyone roots for, much like, you know, Alabama has their own pro team in the form of Alabama yep. football. But if, if the money is there and then you are the toast of the town and then you have a top program, I, I, I think he may tend to stick around. And I'm, and I'm not saying that there wouldn't be the job offers for some of these like a Michigan or a big blue chip type school, but I don't know. He's in a good position. What can you tell us about uh, Kansas, Dan McGowan? Yeah. You know, from what I'm seeing, they have a, a guard who's an all American guard. I think his last name is Iobi or something like that. Uh, they're an excellent, obviously Kansas has been, I think I read this somewhere. I think they've been in the last 17 years to 11 sweet 16s uh, right. They're a perennial powerhouse. They're the big 12 champion. They they're as good they're the school, right? There are a handful of these, the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys, Kansas oh, yeah. certainly in this class, where you are, you know, it, it's not even about, you're not, you, everybody has to recruit hard, but, you know, the, the, the players want to come to Kansas. Absolutely. They know what Kansas is all about. So it's a yep. different situation for, for, for those guys. The one thing historically, they've underachieved, right? They, they have not had, uh, for, for as good of a program as that has been for so long, 20, 30 years now, um, you know, they haven't been the, old, you know, they, I think they've only won one national title in that time. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of in a different way. In some ways, you know, it's funny because in Providence, we would have said, let's say if, if, if South Dakota State had beat Providence uh, last week, I think uh, there would be a little bit of the narrative of, uh, boy, Coach Cooley loved the guy, but he can't win in the NCAA tournament. He only That's won right. one game. Yep. Uh, in the case of in Kansas, you know, it's, it is like Alabama football. It's not defined by getting to the Sweet 16. It's the Final Four. Um, so they're on a different level in that way. They have high expectations. I will say, you know, I love to follow the betting lines on this stuff. And some, yeah. people, some people love that. Some people don't. But the, 
the interesting thing is I thought this would be a sky high number. I thought you'd see Kansas as an 11 or 12 point favorite. What you're seeing is, a, you know, Providence won over the, the hardcore vet, betters in Vegas. Now it's, you know, somewhere around seven, seven and a half points that Kansas mm-hmm. is a favorite. That's a, I mean, that shows you there's a lot of confidence right now, yes. um, you know, in that Providence team. I want to touch on John, you know, you mentioned sort of the, the idea that, that, you know, what will Coach Cooley do next? Or, you know, will he say, I'm growing more and more confident that you're right about this, that I think he's a guy, first of all, some of the big jobs have already closed up, right? Maryland was one that um, I think could have could have potentially worked real hard yep. on Coach Cooley. They hired the Seton Hall coach. So, you know, the, the, the job opportunity, at least this year, may not be there, which is, I think, good for Providence. The other thing, though, is, you're, you know, the, the thing about this, he already makes $3 million plus a year, so he's doing pretty well for himself. There aren't that many jobs in the country that, that pay um, significantly more than that. What it comes down to now is, uh, is how do you invest in the program, right? It's all about keeping your coaches longer, which means you need more money from the school. It's about charter flights. That's a huge, I mean, you hear this all the time. Uh, that that they, they want more chartered flights to either games or the ability to go hop on a flight very quickly to go see a high school player. You know, that kind of stuff is what, um, scout. Yes. yeah, to scout. That's what, and that's what wins over right players, right? Think about it. You and I are like this too. 16, 17 year old kid, you know, the coach flies in just to see you. Uh, that that stuff sticks out. They realize, oh, this is a big time program now, and so those are the things that I think Coach Cooley will be kind of negotiating for. Of course, I think he will get more money, uh, you know, after this season. But more importantly, I think he wants that program to be kind of the elite uh, Big East level team. Yeah, I think again, if it was ten years ago, it's one thing, but uh, to get to this point in just the year. They've had with the dunk, hey, you know, 13, 12, 13,000 people sold out, cheering loud. Uh, that's that's as good as, it, as it's going to get. You know, it's interesting also, folks, and, you know, speaking about Dan McGowan of Boston Globe, when I first like, met Mike Stanton, he was the PC beat reporter at the Providence that's right. Journal. I don't know if you knew that or didn't know that. Yeah, but, he did. Um, you know, Mike, so, Mike uh, Stanton. Listen, a reporter is a reporter. Sorry, John, what I was going to say was Mike Stanton famously, what got him into investigative reporting was a big deep dive on uh, the finances of the colleges in the Big East in the late, uh, it was the late 80s and the early 90s. Mm. And he did such a good job yes. on that story that the journal pulled him in when uh, Rizdik was going under when the banks were, were shut down by Bruce Sundland and that launched, you know, a Pulitzer Prize yes. winning remarkable journalism career. Um, and then the, the, the story I just want to make mention, though, is that St. Peter's team. That oh. is remarkable. I mean, I I love that coach. I love the school. To me, that they they that like just what the tournament should be. I, I've been to St. Peter's uh, and, and know about that school for them to pull that off, knock off. Kentucky is is just remarkable. So it's it's also though it it brings more drama to the tournament. One question, Dan McGowan, if the Friars can advance, just tell me who did they play the winner of which game? It'll be uh, it's Miami and uh, who's Miami play? Uh, it's it's on the top of my tongue here. It's my it's. I'm a, sorry, I'm yeah, not I'm sorry. to put you on the spot. I'm not just like <laughs> I'm still learning, John. <laughs> yes. <laughs> portion of the John DePietro Show brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Stop in and see them, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. You know, delicious food inside the Lodge Pub and Eatery, a tradition since 1994. Also, check out the beautiful new deck that they've added. Hey, they're going to have some nice seating out there, and also they'll do the igloos. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Uh, Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe. Well, Dan, very exciting for you with Chicago. Uh, go Friars. It's it's late. I'm going to try to follow it best I can. I want to uh, jump into some of the bread and butter. Um, I'm curious to hear your reaction on Ed Pacheco deciding, ah, maybe this isn't the right time. I'm curious to just hear what you're hearing in the CD2 race that to me, 
I mean, it, it just seems, unless someone's going to get really active or come up with a big issue, um, I just think Seth Magazine is going to benefit from the, from the large field because he does have a base, he does have the war chest, and then everybody just, you know, kind of remains very scattered, just taking small, small points of the vote. Well, as you know, there's what people say publicly and then what everybody says behind the scenes. And the public thing... You know, Ed Pacheco was pretty honest, actually. He said, look, couldn't raise enough money, didn't want to waste people's money. Uh, I'm going to get out. And, and you know, I think all of us thought uh, he was an uphill battle because it, he was going to struggle to raise money. He's not been in the limelight for a long time. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of frustration among the candidates not named either Magazina or Magaziner or this, this Sarah Morgenthau, who, who we don't, we have not met at all, uh, but yeah. who, you know, who is planning to put in mm-hmm. pretty significant resources. Um, th- you know, I know the other candidates feel like, boy, they're being, we're being crowded out by, you know, two people who don't live in the district and who, uh, or, you know, at least in Sarah's case, she has a home here, but has lived in DC in a long time. Um, you know, th- th- there's frustration. I think the Pacheco f- supporters um, thought he had a path here and then watched as everybody, meaning the unions and the kind of insiders kind of surrounded and crowded him out and, and went with Seth Magaziner um, before really even giving anybody else a chance, you know? Um, so so there's, there's some animosity right now, um, but your analysis is exactly right. I mean, it's going to be very hard at this point to be, Seth Magaziner in a Democratic primary. He clearly um, has done all the things that he needed to do. He needed to, you know, raise the money. He needed to consolidate with endorsements. He's done those things. Um, you know, he, he's still going to face a major challenge, whoever the Republican is. Um, you know, I don't think he'll be the only person on the ballot in a Democratic primary either. But he's, he's done all the things he needed to do uh, to be considered the front runner in this race. Are you surprised that Joy Fox is not doing to get out there, get attention, draw some response maybe back from magazine or something? I just find we're, we're hearing a lot about the I'm not a, mil- a millionaire or a lifetime politician line. I just when does that really gravitate to either resonate uh, voters or, you know, try to distance themselves from, you know, one of the opponents in the race? You know, I'm surprised by all of the candidates running for just about anything and how little they're yeah. actually doing in public right now. I mean, it's hard to get these guys, with the exception to his credit of Dan McKee in a lot of ways, um, you know, and, and he's the governor, so he has to be front and center. Generally speaking, it's hard to get these guys to do any kind of interviews or real like deep dives on sort of where they stand on things. Um, yes, I agree. In the in the congressional race, especially, I do think it's a sign of everyone is just calling every person they've ever had contact with to donate money because it's they, they, it's an arms race at this point. It's a terrible cliche to use given where you are, but it is all about you know raising the right amount of money and uh, and showing that you're you know that that you're serious. And remember, you're up against March thirty first is the you know, is the deadline. So next week in terms of fundraising, and that's going to give you a sense of where folks stand. I think you're going to see a Seth Magaziner with, you know, three quarters of a million to a million dollars. And if everybody else is coming in at, you know, $65,000, well, they're going to have decisions to make because, uh, you know, the difference being if you, if Joy Fox comes out and shows that, Hey, I've got a lot of people behind me and I raised $300,000. That's just a hypothetical number. Um, Suddenly now people give her a second look that allows her to kind of move the campaign along. But if she, if she's as low as, as Ed Pacheco, it sounds like was um, she's going to have to pretty quickly make a decision to, you know, either go very negative to try to, you know, raise her profile and bring people down or probably get out of the race. Hey, um, and, and again, folks, to speak with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, the Sarah Morgenthal, Dan McGowan, I, I just, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. She just kind of remains out there. She certainly has the credentials for it. Seems like she'd have the 
ability to raise the money. I'd be very curious to see her on a stage with uh, General Treasurer Seth Magaziner to see, and to me, and again, I, I don't know her at all, but just with the family history and what her you know resume looks like, uh, she to me is someone that potentially in August could potentially catch fire and really make this a race for a magazine. I think that's true. And, and I, you know, you have to assume the, the thing about running for office is, you know, you always think that it, the, the people who run always think it's easier than it, than it actually is. Right. They always think I'm going to yes. be a great candidate and everybody knows who I am and it's great. Yep. And really usually they find out that that's, it's, it's actually very hard and they, most people don't actually care or know who they are. Um, in her case, what will be interesting is because she does have kind of a political pedigree, it is entirely possible that she's actually very impressive on her feet and in a debate could really kind of settle in and, and, and um, you know, and, and ha she has the credentials to speak beyond Rhode Island. I, I think it's, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about the governor's race, but in the congressional race, there is something to be said about a candidate who can kind of talk to you about you know, foreign policy can tell you, yeah. you know, what they want to do in DC. Whereas I think Seth Magaziner is going to want to, you know, in some ways just talk about, look, my record as treasurer is really good. Look at all the unions that are with me. Well, that's lovely. And that would really help in, in a governor's race. And it surely helps, you know, in, in an actual election in a primary here, but there could be a star contrast. It's possible that Sarah will be more kind of, uh, it's just more ready for prime time on congressional issues. And yeah. that could, you know, the, the challenge becomes if it's a, it, you know, you picture those debates, you know, Tim White at PPAC, if there's five, six people on the stage, then it's possible you just don't emerge, you know, from that different than anybody else. If you're up against, you know, if, if you narrow this down to one-on-one, -on -one, you know, then there's going to be very clear contrasts. And I think, um, you know, and then Seth Magazine is going to have to really bring his game to, to, to convince voters that, sure, you know, this, this newcomer might be nice and might seem great, but I've been the one that's been here for Rhode Islanders. I mean, that would be his case. Dean McGowan, what, is, what was your thought on the uh, Jessica De La Cruz rollout from last week? You know, I, I was a little underwhelmed by it. Yeah. Um, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as sharp as I thought she would come across. I will give her credit. I mean, I think she has she she is going to be kind of the candidate that she wants to be. She's going to be the more conservative person in that primary. Um, you know, I th I do think she's more credible uh, in many ways than than Bob Lancia. So I think you know she'll benefit to some degree around that. I just you know I've thought this the entire way. It's not that Alan Fung is the you know most wonderful person on earth. He just knows how to run these races. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, he's good at the math part of, of electoral politics until I see that he's not, I, it's hard to kind of count him out or really give Jessica De La Cruz, you know, much of a chance. Um, you know, again, unless she can catch fire and, and, you know, maybe Alan steps in it, but in a, in a Republican primary where there's gonna be so few voters, um, you know, Alan just knows where the votes are. He does. And he also knows how to raise money as yes. well, which I think is uh, going to give him a big advantage. We are going to talk about the governor's race, folks, and also the uh, race for the mayor of Providence. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. A lot more. Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe right here on the John DePietro Show. Portion of the program brought to you by the Coesed Inn. Check them out on the website, dipietro.com, the Coesed Inn or Rhode Island tradition since 1977 located 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers there's always a great crowd you can link directly to them and gift certificates are available the Coesed Inn 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick we're speaking with Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe Dan we finally are learning more about the nominee who's going to apparently will have no primary much different than four years ago. Ashley Collis, uh, you know, it's got a, a pretty slick video. I'm not sure how it, it's edited, but um, she now is finally making it official. She's going around making the rounds. I see she spoke with uh, your former colleague, Ted Nisi. She's going to do newsmakers talking to Kathy Gregg. What does Dan McGowan think of the, apparently the new candidate for governor? 
Well, I think it's really hard to come from out of nowhere and, and win governor, especially because I do think you, um, you know, you, you do have to show some level of connection and kind of knowledge about Rhode Island. So there are things stacked up against her there. But on the flip side, it certainly sounds like she and her husband are pretty well off. So they have personal money that yep. they're willing to spend. Um you know, which is a huge part of this. Getting that free path in a Republican primary is beneficial for two reasons. One, you don't have to spend any money in the primary. Train. Introducing yourself to Rhode Islanders. The number two thing, though, is, I mean, you know way better than me, John. You've covered it for years. The Republicans in Rhode Island are so divided because you have, you know, yep. the people who love Alan Fung, the people who hate Alan Fung. I mean, usually it literally comes down to that oftentimes in the party. In this case, when you have a fresh faced person, you know, from what I'm hearing, I think everybody's kind of trying to get to know this person if you're no matter what, because, you know, you, you it's, it's not as though she took sides in a last in the primary four or eight years ago. Um, so she has that chance if she can be kind of warm and welcoming. I think there are a lot of folks that will say, you know, look, look, I'll give her a chance. Um, interestingly, when I look at the field on the Democratic side, I, I could see her playing it one of two ways. If if you're running against if Dan McKee wins the primary, I think Ashley uh, Kales will run the kind of a similar campaign to. Uh, to what Helena Folks was going to try to do. I think she's going to try to come off as like kind of a competent professional, you know, uh, businesswoman, um, which is a path they'd love to run on. And it would be, uh, you know, it would be one to kind of contrast with sort of the local mayor type, which is McKee. On the flip side, if you get a Helena Folks to get through a primary um, or Nellie Gourbet, but let's just use Helena Folks for, for example, I think Ashley Kalis has that chance to kind of come across as maybe like a more likable version of, of a Gina Raimondo. Good point. Yeah. Um, and, and that will be, you know, her, when you get to spend months and months, not having to fight and and you know, and go negative and all these things right now, she has a chance to just come across as this, you know, caring mother who's been really fortunate in life and made money and, you know, is going to be fighting for, big you know for those big issues that matter particularly to suburban moms um there's a path here but it's so early and it's such a it's such a situation where you know as i've been reminded forever somebody that comes in with lots of money and you say boy they're they're wealthy they could really self-fund this usually people who make a lot of money don't like spending their own money and And that becomes, you know, if she's willing to write a check for three or four million bucks to get really serious in this race, I'll say, boy, she she can compete because this is not a state that's going to go 80. This is not the presidential election. Right. In, in, in a Rhode Island governor's race, a Republican is going to do OK. Um, and so if, if she can kind of build on that and, 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 you know, have the resources, then she's very credible. If she's somebody who says yeah, I'm going to write a check for $100,000 to my campaign, which is astronomical to most listeners, including in, in you and I. But if she's going to penny pinch, this isn't going to work. And uh, and I think you'll still almost certainly get a Democratic governor uh, for the next four years. I think you're right, Dan McGowan. And also, listen, I want to be objective and, and give her a chance. On the one hand, you know, people may warm up to the new energy. She's, you know, obviously energetic. It's a fresh face. Uh, it's a different type of candidate. The Republican Party hasn't had someone like that. I like her idea of the education, making that a real issue. There's been a lot of complaints about, you know, whether it's, you know, the mass mandates in school or critical race theory. So a, a mother of three that says, you know, we need to change the education system in Rhode Island, go toe to toe against the teachers union. Um, I, I think that's I think she could potentially make that an issue to help benefit other candidates just to make it an issue in the forefront. I'm not sure, you know, if the state is ready to elect someone that, according to Eli Sherman, voted in Florida and she's from Illinois yeah. and just bought a house last May. As I watched the video, and again, I'm, I'm trying to be fair. It, to me, it seems like an actress who's trying out for like a role. Like she's just repeating these lines. She doesn't know these lines. But um, in time, we'll see if she, maybe she's a quick learner. She also, you're right, benefits from not having the primary. 
And, and let's also see, and I'm going to come back to Dan McGowan. I think this is a tough climate to be a Democrat. I mean, if, if, uh, if it is Dan McKean, he's on a stage saying, you know, I'm going to deliver for you and President Biden's going to deliver. I, I, I think one of the problems like the Ed Pacheco and the rest is you're just playing defensive so much that you're not able to go on the offensive. I, I believe this is going to be a really tough climate to be a Democrat if you have a Republican who's willing to really throw some punches. Yeah, if you're a Democrat in this, you're right. The climate is bad for the Democrats, particularly on the you know congressional side. Um, the, the Democrats have lots of things working against it because, first of all, you know, if you're Dan McKee, you can't, you can't, you know, criticize Joe Biden's record because you've tried to be Joe Biden essentially in 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 Rhode Island, um, you know, and all these other guys are not going. to Do you really think is Helena Folks, whose mother, you know, was a college roommate of Nancy Pelosi, going to criticize the Democratic agenda? I I, I would find that hard to believe. No, uh, right, Nellie Gorbea, lifelong yeah. Democrat, is she really going to? you know, be able to, to come, you know, come up against that sort of thing. The other challenge, I wrote this in Roadmap yesterday, and this is, this is the opening for a, a, a good Republican candidate, is the Democrats forget just inflation and gas prices being so high and just a, a, a tough moment nationally. Um, the Democrats just don't know what they want to be when they grow up at this point, right? You've got, you, right. you, know, you know, they want to be all things to all people. They, you know, uh, one day everyone's moving far to the left. The next day, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, we got to get away from that. The, the Democrats just, they, they don't know how to, you know, kind of pick an agenda and stick to it. And you're seeing that trickle down to, you know, a, a Democratic primary here. I mean, there's no difference at this point between any of the candidates, you know, in terms of policy and views. They're all just trying to kind yeah. of one up each other yeah. and but but all have the same sort of ideas. And so this is where your chance, like you said, you know, I would love as somebody who, who really cares and, and thinks a lot about education, I would love education to be a forefront, you know, issue in this race. It, what it takes, though, is the candidate to say, you know, we're going to have we're going to really invest hard in school choice. You know, we're going to take on the teachers unions, because if yeah. it's all some Democratic line right. of. You know, we're all we we want better schools, but we're not going to step on any toes. Well, then it's not an education race. It's just a matter of, you know, you're, you're lobbying That's for right. Voting. You need contrast. And so if she's willing to do that and kind of willing to speak truth to power in some ways, I think that could come across as refreshing. Um, the question is, and you, you pointed it out in her video, you know, how ready is she going to be to actually speak about these issues? Right. Is it is it? The person who just happens to, you know, want this job that maybe she thinks is easier than it it looks to win, or is she going to be deeply invested in this and really come across as this kind of star candidate? It's just too soon to oh. know. It is, and I'm again. Listen, and I don't want to discount. You know, she's standing on a stage with, and again, I'm going to say like a Dan McKee, and uh, we've we've seen this long trail of the insider deals and. And uh, you know, three thousand dollars here and there. Yeah. I, I, I would, I'd be curious to see Dan McGowan how he would handle himself on a debate stage in trying to justify some of these things. He has to do it less in a primary. And speaking of of that, Dan McKee, Nelly Gobea, Helena, folks, Matt Brown, Louis, Daniel Moniz, Dan, Dan McGowan. Do you see any evidence this is anything different than right now? It's just a two person race between Dan McKee and Nelly Gobea. I keep waiting for either Matt Brown or Helena, folks, to try to jump up and want to change the dynamic. I just don't see it. I don't count out Helena folks just for all the reasons that we're talking about Ashley Kalis, right? If you right. have the money yes. and it sounds like you're willing to put it in, then I do think you're going to be a competitive candidate, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think the clear two kind of people who have emerged as the front runners are, uh, Dan, are the incumbent Dan McKee and, and, and Nellie Gorbea. Uh, and the, the, the interesting thing, though, they're just they're all so scared of their own shadows. None of them are yeah. willing to really go after their opponents or even just have big, bold ideas. I'll give credit to folks. She came out with a pretty ambitious education agenda, you know, and I talked to her about it last week. We were, we were just chatting and I said, you know, this is a lot of money you want to spend. Some of these things are really great ideas. How come there's nothing, though, about charter schools or school choice? Oh. You know, because and, and that's the, that's this this sort of a democratic agenda that they they just don't want to step on anybody's toes. Education is a great example, but there's so many things they just don't want to offend anybody. And when you're kind of 
swimming around in the mud or stuck in the mud, that gives the chance for somebody else to step up. It, by the way, it's the other reason why somebody like a, a Matt Brown potentially could emerge as, you know, I mean, hasn't done anything yet, but could emerge as just the person who's willing to say what's on his mind and have a very clear, much, much, much further to the left view of the world. You know, while everybody else is testing, you know, what sounds good and what the voters like, he, he just is who he is. Um, the thing is, is for right now, he hasn't just hasn't done anything. He hasn't put out any policy proposals. He hasn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like Zero. he's raising very much money. Nothing. He's just not doing very much. Hmm. Um, and as far as uh, uh, Rhode Island Governor, he obviously he's got a big choice coming up to him McGowan with who's going to be the nukes colonel of the Rhode Island State Police. But it just seems business as usual. Uh, do less media, more uh, press conferences. You're giving away money. I'm sure he'd love to be next to Robert Kraft the other day. Um, they, to me, just seem like they have their path and they're just going to stay on that path. It does feel like he's doing the the thing that, that, that quite frankly, that I would do if I was the governor uh, for a short period of time, which is I would make sure I did all the cool things, right? Get, get Robert Kraft in with the Super Bowl trophies, Uh, you know, go to the, you know, go to the big East tournament, make sure my picture gets taken, Uh, you know, just take advantage of the spotlight for as long as you have it. Um, You know, you can't count him out. He is the incumbent. He is the guy who he was going to sprinkle lots of money on lots of people, but that I go back to this idea that just, he, his, his unwillingness to uh, kind of offend people or, or even just take strong positions. I mean, that's, that's just been his biggest challenge. And he has a real, um, he, he has a, a real tough choice now with, with a new, uh, you know, Colonel, because he's going to have to, he's going to have to make a, a choice that for a democratic primary voter, you know, is, is probably, he's going to be thinking about, you know, where they stand on, you know, the issues in Providence and things like that. Like everything is political at this point in the governor's oh. office. Folks, uh, Dan McGowan, before I let you go, I um, did see that, I guess, the first uh, mayoral debate for Providence is being held. What, what do you think we're going to, speaking of quiet campaigns, what, what are we going to learn from, from this uh, first debate? Well, what I'm hoping to learn is just, you know, what's the one thing that, that each candidate kind of wants to do to stand out? Because to your point, this race more than any of them is, is one that is incredibly important and also just so quiet. Um, I think you're going to get a little bit more out of a Brett Smiley because I think next week he's going to roll out his, um, you know, officially roll out his campaign. But, you know, Right now, this will be a low, this is a low profile test. Rodan College is hosting a, a, a you know a, a candidate forum with all the, the mayoral candidates. Um, you know what what you want to learn is okay, who's going to be the candidate that's maybe a little more pro police? Who's going to be the defund candidate? Who's going to you know who, who's going to be really strong on trying to fix downtown and who isn't? I think this is our first chance to actually see how this could work, although. I will say, and I will warn people, these, these candidates all are, are following that same playbook of the rest of the Democratic primary or the Democratic Party, which is they're, they're so concerned with, not, with just with offending anybody and with, you know, trying to, um, it, they just want to please everyone. So I think you're going to see a lot of kind of happy talk and a lot of similarities if I'm if, if I were running, though, I would want to be the one person that stands up and says, I'm going to be the person that fixes the schools. And here's how or whatever it is, public safety, economic development, any of those things. You know, that's what I'm looking for. Who's going to stand out a little bit, maybe throw a punch or two. Hmm. Uh, the kid, the young man, I should say, that's running that debate. He's a great young kid. I had him on the air several years ago. He did a, a science or a school project that ended up on C-SPAN. And so I'm very happy for him. He invited me uh, to the debate before I had left. Um, so I, I'd be curious to see that. Dan McGowan, one last question. Uh, is Providence starting to return to normal uh, now that the, at least it seems the pandemic's in the rearview mirror, or is it, it still feel ghost town? 
my colleague Alexa Gagas has a great story about this in the Globe yeah. today. And, and, you know, the challenge is, is that you aren't seeing, you're not seeing workers come back to downtown mm. uh, very much. And until you do, I think the restaurants are all going to really struggle. I do think there is more signs of life. Credit to going back to the beginning. Credit to the PC basketball team for that in, in some ways. I think on, on those Saturday nights when, when PC is playing at the dunk, downtown feels alive again. But it's going to be a while. I mean, we're talking gears. You know, there people are now projecting potentially 2024 as the time you actually really start to see business travel take off again. And remember, Providence is a place where there are lots of conferences and things like that. Um, until you start to get all of those things back and the workers downtown, um, it becomes, you know, I think Providence is, is going to really be kind of on the edge here it's there it's really struggling it still does feel like a ghost town on most on most regular days if i walk downtown today uh i'm more likely to see probably fewer than five people than i am you know 50 people wow dear miguel one last thing i just want to leave with you and i think you'll appreciate it and it's it's you and i talk about this of you know the benefit if, if you go to and watch like every mckee press briefing you start to pick up of when he's either like in a bad mood or yep. he's off or there's something up behind the scenes and, and whatever it may be. I also find that for court or whatever. It's just funny here. Like I'm, I was going to find coffee and all of a sudden there's, you know, 12 American servicemen. And then, you know, I, I'm like, okay, so that's different. And then you see New York times 82nd airborne has more of a presence. One thing I've learned by being now I'm 10 miles from the border. Um, and I talk about this on the live stream is the amount of Polish military suddenly that are everywhere. Like suddenly just from in the past two weeks, the amount of military presence. But then you see the reports that Putin is threatening Poland, that if they keep cooperating with Ukraine, that they're going to have problems. And I, I can tell you that just it, it is such a stressful atmosphere to be in where everyone is on edge and um, and everywhere you go. And I was talking even just on like the taxi driver yesterday. And I said, how are things different? you know, now than they were just say three weeks ago or a month ago and so forth. And he's like, his, his answer was stress everywhere you go. Everyone's on stress, hope, you know, afraid, like, please, you know, tell me that we're not going to get dragged into this thing. But I come back to, you know, when you're there and you're seeing it each day, that that's how, you know, it just comes through. You kind of pick up on the, on the observations of it, folks. He is, Oh, before I let him go, he mentions roadmap, but he's always breaking news and roadmap. And Dan McGowan, I'm still reading it, even though I'm in Eastern Europe. <laughs> Folks, listen right now. How can people receive roadmap each morning free in their inbox? Yeah, I believe you now get to uh, to read it for lunch, which I'm, I'm, I'm happy yes. for, for you. Um, right. <laughs> and I should say, to go back to our beginning of the conversation, it came to me. Miami, Iowa State is who Providence okay. plays the, right. <laughs> the okay. Providence or Kansas for the winner of. Right. Uh, I should have yeah. known it, too. Look, if, if you're if you want. Uh, something free to your in to your email inbox every weekday morning and now with basketball you know the Friday night and certainly hopefully Sunday night uh, it's very simple send me your a blank email to rinews at globe.com I'll know what it is just send a blank email rinews at globe.com uh, and you in like John said you get new stuff you get scoops you get just interesting little stories you get analysis all our stories in the globe and then just a rundown of what's happening. There's a debate today. You know, there's a big committee meeting on marijuana, things like that. So RI news at globe.com and you'll start getting it first thing tomorrow morning. Dan McGowan. Great job. Uh, have a fun time. Go Friars in Chicago and we'll talk to you again. Be safe, John. Thank you for what <laughs> you're doing. Talk soon. Thank you, Dan McGowan.